Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 19. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Grief is a very human response, and tears are a part of healing. So no problem grieving. The problem was David grieved excessively and he wouldn't allow himself to be comforted. And he neglected himself and his responsibilities as king. When someone is overcome with sorrow, the problem is, listen, the problem is not in what they know, but in what they forget. Stay with me. When someone is overcome with sorrow, the problem is not in what they know. It's in what they forget. They forget that God is a God of great grace and great mercy and the God of all comfort. They forget that God will see us through every pain and every difficulty. They forget that we are Christians and someday we'll see that loved one in glory again. David allowed his sorrow to last too long. Listen, there is a such thing as um, excessive sorrow. There's a such thing as excessive sorrow. Excessive sorrow is rooted in doubt and disbelief. First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 13, David writing to the church at Thessalonica, he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that's died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. We Christian folk, we don't sorrow like those who have no hope, or we don't mourn like those who have no hope. You know, I've officiated funerals, and um, maybe not so much here, but in other places, and and I've seen people, you have too, who sorrow and they don't have any hope. They seem not to have hope, and I've seen that. People, you know, they get so overcome. I've seen people try to get in the casket. They're so overcome, they try to get in the, in the grave. They're so overcome. And we Christians, we don't, we don't sorrow like that because we know that if that person believed in Jesus, somebody say amen, you'll see him again, right? You'll see him again. So that's why we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. You know, statistics show that in the U.S., approximately 2 million people die each year. That's a lot of grieving people every year. And the loss of that loved one is very much like the loss of a limb, isn't it? It's like uh, emotional amputation, and it affects people deeply. You know, I've heard of people, I heard people say, well, give it time. If somebody passed away, and the loved one, and people try to comfort you, and they say, oh, just give it time. It'll get better over time. Listen, it does not get better over time. It, you know, it, I think it depends on what you do with that time and how you know, how you feel, but it doesn't get better over time. You know, we've all heard and been familiar with the seven stages of grief. And the first stage of grief is shock. When you hear someone we loved has died, 
Psychologists tell us there's an emotional numbness that takes place, and that's a normal response triggered, put in us by God, to, uh, by the nervous system of the body, and it's God's way of anesthetizing us and, and the person so that we might be able to face the reality of death and handle the days to come. The problem is when this stage lasts too long, excessive mourning. When the stage lasts too long, that's abnormal, and it'll cause problems in the future, and that's what happened to David. Jesus knows, listen, what it's like to lose someone you love. I think of John chapter 11. Remember, Jesus wept at the death of Lazarus. Abraham wept, Genesis 23. Two, when Sarah died at Kirjath Arba, which is uh, Hebron. And Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him, Genesis 51. Acts 2, 8, 2. A devout man carried Stephen to his burial and wept and made great lamentation over him. Nothing wrong with sorrow and grief, but it should not be hopeless sorrow like the world. You know, I was thinking of grief, and all of a sudden I started singing, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Oh, because we do not carry Everything to God. We should sing those old songs. We don't sing them. Marlo. We need that on Sunday. It's on a, that's a good song. That's a great song. So David allowed his sorrow to last too long. And it almost cost him the kingdom. David, the father, forgot. He was also David the king with the crown. Look at verse Nine. Let's read a little bit more. Verse 9. Now all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines, and now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, whom we anointed over us, has died in the battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? Okay, we got to stop right there. Keep in mind, David survived Absalom's attempt to overthrow the kingdom, but the kingdom wasn't restored to David yet. The tribes of Israel understood what David did for them. They understood they rejected him and embraced Absalom. They understood that Absalom is now dead, and this left the people of Israel in a dispute about bringing back the king David. And they only wanted, no, they only wanted David back after the false king was dead after Absalom failed. Don't you see that? This is true of many people. Many times we only decide to bring back King Jesus when our false kings have failed us. And another thing to note, there's always a dispute when the right king is not on the throne. There's always a dispute. Note two things. It's always harder to bring back the king the second time. When we first became a Christian, we received Jesus, and maybe at some point, you know, we backslide or people, yeah, that's still a word. You haven't heard that in the church forever, have you? 
Like people don't say that back. So we say, you know what? We have uh, taken a rest. We've taken a rest from the kingdom. I'm like, you, what? You've taken a rest from the kingdom? What does that mean? You backslid or you fall into sin or you blow it. Listen, it's harder to bring back the king the second time. And true, we know God forgives us, but it's hard to forgive yourself. It's hard to bring the king back the second time because actually we're surprised we sin. Don't you know God is not surprised when you sin? You're surprised when you sin. See, when you come to God, you actually think that you're like a trophy in God's china cabinet. I get it, but you're not, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, you're not. You're not. Some of y'all don't have a neighbor. Y'all like... I'm not. You're not. Contrary to popular opinion, we're not. So we fall into sin. We surprise ourselves. The second thing I want to tell you is when we start to decide who we want to be king, there's always strife. When we decide we are king, there's always strife. When the right king is on the throne, there there will not be strife. There's only one throne and one person on it, and it ain't you. It's not my throne. It's King Jesus' throne. It's the only throne that he will sit on. And the people who were in dispute said the king saved and delivered us. And now he's fled from the land because of Absalom. Look at verse 10. They said, listen, Absalom, whom we anointed is dead. He's gone. Why aren't you talking about bringing back David? They're saying David is the one who delivered us and saved us. And David isn't going to force his reign on Israel. He will only come back if the tribes who rejected him agree to bring him back. Look at verse 11. Let's move forward just a little more. So King David, in verse 11, sent to Zadok and Abathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to the house, since the words of all of Israel have come to the king to his very house? You are my brethren. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if you are not commander of the army before me continually in the place of Joab. And so he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man. So they sent his word to the king, return you and all your servants. And then the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal. To go to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shimei, remember him? The son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was from Baharim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there was a thousand men of Benjamin with him. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons, that's a lot of boys, a lot of mouths of feed, And his 20 servants with him, and they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across to carry the king's household and to do what he thought good. Now Shemai, or Shemai, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Say, stop right there. David had Zadok and and Abathar. The priests speak to the elders of Judah and say, why are you the last to bring the king back to the house? Now, quickly, listen, Absalom's rebellion began in Hebron, which is in Judah. And, you know, Judah is the tribe of David. So David says to the elders of Judah, why are you guys the holdouts? You are my brother in verse 12. You are 
my bone and my flesh. Why are you the last ones to say, bring me back to my house? Now, Second Samuel, hold your place right here and go with me to Second Samuel chapter 5. Just real quick, real quick. Second Samuel chapter 5. I want you to see this and look at verse 1. 2 Samuel 5, 1. Then all the tribes of Israel, verse 1, came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, you are, we are your bone and we are your flesh. David is saying, you guys said it just 11 chapters ago. Trying to count. I think I got it wrong. It's like more like 13, maybe. You guys said it. You said it yourselves. Your bone. Go back to the chapter, chapter 19. You said it yourselves. You are my bone and my flesh. Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? And David didn't force his authority and, 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 and return to sovereignty on anyone. But David wanted the people to voluntarily submit to his leadership because they were family. They were kinsmen. Verse 13, David agreed to replace Joab with Amasa. Now speaking to Amasa, are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of the armies in Joab's place. Now remember, when the people were going out to battle, you remember, look at me real quick. Remember the people were going out to battle. And, and David gave the order, I mentioned it earlier, David gave the order that if you guys see Absalom, then show him kindness and mercy for my sake. Remember that? And it was Joab, as I mentioned, that killed Absalom, disobedient to David. So David makes Amasa, who is Joab's cousin, commander-in-chief. And I don't get the impression that Amasa would have made a good commander in chief because remember, Amasa, okay, maybe you won't remember. Amasa was the commander in chief for Absalom. And remember, last week they lost 20,000 men on the battlefield. So he don't, he's going to make a good commander in chief. I don't think so. But David makes him commander in chief. I got to wonder if David's trying to get under, you know, Joab's skin or something. I mean, it doesn't seem like it. David's like really in a godly place. So it doesn't seem like it, but David is trying to show them, I think actually, that he had no hard feelings. All is forgiven because those who went with Absalom were guilty of treason. David knew, look at verse 14, and he was accepted by Israel and Judah and led his group across the Jordan and returned to Jerusalem. And in verse 15, the point is emphasized that David would not return as king until he was welcomed, until the hearts of the people were ready to receive him. And so he swayed their hearts and they received him and they escorted the king across the Jordan. And David left Israel as a fugitive and rejected by the nation, hunted by his son. And now he returns to a celebration of people who support him. It makes me think of Psalm 110, verse 1. God will make your enemies your footstool. Look at verse 16. Maybe you remember Shammai. 2 Samuel chapter 16, if you care to write that in your margins, Shammai sees David and he runs out the front door of his house. Y'all remember 16? It was a great chapter. He runs out the door of his house. He is rude and disrespectful and he's cussing and throwing rocks and kicking dirt. And Abishai said, enough. I'm tired of listening to your potty mouth. And I'm a little sick and tired of you of dodging stones that you're throwing. And Abishai said to David, let me take his head off 
And David said, let him curse. Obviously, it's the Lord. I'm supposed to learn something from this, so just leave it. And we talked about it. Everything doesn't need to be handled. Some things need to be left to God. Amen. And David knew God was able to shut him up. And sometimes when people are saying things, you just need to leave it. You don't always have to be right. There are higher things in the kingdom. Well, earlier in 2 Samuel 16, Shammai was doing all that talking. And the Bible says that Shammai and a thousand men with Ziba in our text with him, his 15 sons and their 20 servants came out to meet David in a ferry boat went to get the king's family, and Shammai fell down before the king. Look at verse 19. All right, let's come in for a landing. Look at verse 19. Then he said to the king, do not let my Lord impute. This is a really great text. Pay attention. Do not let my Lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my Lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart, Shammai said, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord, the king. But Abishai, the son of Zorah, answered and said, shall not Shammai be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? I just told you about that. And David said, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zorah, that you should be adversaries to me this day? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For I do not know that today I am king over Israel. Therefore, the king said to Shammai, in verse 23, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. Verse 19, David said, or... Shammai said, do not let my Lord, notice he says my Lord. Chapter 16, he was cursing him out, throwing rocks, kicking dirt, everything, doing everything, doing the most. And he said, my Lord, do not let my Lord impute iniquity to me or remember the wrong I did. And Shammai said, king, please don't think about when I called you a dead dog chapter 16. Don't remember when I ran out the screen door cussing and throwing rocks. Can we just forget about that? I hope you didn't take it to heart. I get like that. I have bad days. And he said in verse 20, I know I've sinned in front of everybody. I'm the first one to come out to meet you. Now, many Bible scholars feel that Shammai is genuinely repentant. I'm not so sure about that because genuine repentance goes to the king before he comes back. Genuine repentance goes to the king. You go to the king, King Jesus, you go to the king before he comes back. You know, when he comes back, there are going to be a lot of people repenting. (laughs) Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said that. Many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons and done all this stuff, wonderful things in your name? And Jesus said, I'm going to say, I never knew you. Lots of people will be saying, Lord, don't remember all the stuff I did. Genuine, authentic repentance is going to the king before he comes back. Shammai came to the king because the king came to him. Just an observation. Abishai said in verse 21, forget about that. Let's put this guy to death because he cursed God's anointed. David says, I'm not insecure. 
I have no insecurity about who I am, what God has done, the stone throwing and cursing and all that. David says, and who am I not to forgive this man? I'm the man who committed adultery and should have been put to death. I'm the man who committed murder and should have been put to death. And even in those sins, God has forgiven me. How can I not forgive Shammai? David says, no death today. There's been enough killing. And y'all know where I'm going, don't you? If God has forgiven us, who are we not to walk in total forgiveness to others who have wronged us? Am I right about it? And it's, ama- it's an amazing, amazing thing. And I'm, I'm almost done. I'm going to let y'all get out of here. It's an amazing thing how quickly we hold on to bitterness. And fervently we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness toward other people. And in the same breath or the other side of your mouth, you say, God, forgive me. That's amazing. And I think everybody does it at some point or another. And we need to ask God to forgive us for doing that, for holding unforgiveness toward other people. When God didn't hold unforgiveness toward you, you have to learn to forgive people. And if you can't forgive people, you can't love God. Jesus said in Matthew six fourteen and 15, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. John Piper, who is a pastor and um, author, he said this so well. It was so good. Y'all would know I didn't write it, so I have to give him the credit for it. He said this, and I love this. He said, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Jesus is simply saying that what he's saying everywhere else and the way I would put it is like this. If the forgiveness that we received at the cost of the blood of the son of Jesus Christ is so ineffective in our hearts that we are bent on holding unforgiveness and grudges and bitterness against someone else, we are not a good tree. We are not saved. We don't cherish this forgiveness. We don't trust in this forgiveness. We don't embrace and treasure this forgiveness. We are hypocrites. We are just mouthing about our salvation. I love that. David said, who am I not to forgive this man? David said, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. David forgave him. But David wasn't foolish. I'll tell you something. David wasn't foolish. Because before David died, He says to Solomon, I'll turn there. We got a second. Turn to first Kings. Turn to first Kings. Okay. Samuel, first Kings. I hope y'all getting something out of this tonight. Uh, First Kings. I'm going to leave you right here. Okay. First Kings chapter two, chapter two, first Kings. And look at, um, look at verse 36. First Kings. David wasn't foolish with this Shammai guy. First Kings chapter two, look at verse 36. Then the king sent and called for Shammai and he said to Shammai, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there and do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day that you go out and cross the brook Kidron. Know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shammai said to the king, they, the saying is good. 
as my Lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shammai dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened in verse 39 at the end of three years that two slaves of Shammai ran away to Achish, the son of Micaiah, the king of Gath. And they told Shammai, saying, look, your slaves are in Gath. And Shammai arose. He saddled his donkey. He went out the city, went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shammai went and bought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told by David that Shammai had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Or he was told, you know, David's dad told him what to do. And then the king sent and called for Shammai, and he said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, No, for certain that on the day that you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die? And you said to me, The word I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? And the king said, Moreover to Shammai, You know, as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David, therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your head. And Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. And the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. And he went out and he struck him and Shammai died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. David was not unwise. David set up parameters for Shammai and, and Shammai um, went beyond those parameters and he was put to death. Next week, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite Bible characters. His name is Mephibosheth. He's one of my favorites, and uh, he's the son of Saul, who David uh, shows grace to. Don't miss uh, next week. It's really, really, really great study. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.